Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. If you're watching online, thank you for being with us today. Uh, We're going to conclude our series on the Four Cups of Promise today. And I hope that you've learned something in this series. We're going to talk about the fourth and final cup today. If you've missed any of them, I really want you to get online to our our website, triumphchurch.com, and I want you to download the other ones that you miss and, and listen to them because they are four promises that God made over your life. Four things he said over you that he wants to do for you. And all the other promises in scripture, they point back to one of these four. Uh, everything that Jesus did on the cross points back to these four promises. And, and I want you to get them in your life. I want you to know what God has promised to do for you and through you and with you. And uh, I don't want you to miss a thing. So if you're watching online, get still, get quiet, get ready to receive from God today. We are so happy to have you a part of the service. We're picking up in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. This is uh, our, our core text that we've used all the way throughout. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." So the first promise we find uh, when God said, I will bring you out. This is the promise of sanctifi- the cup of sanctification. It is the uh, promise of salvation that God makes to us. Cup number one is about sanctification. Sanctification. And uh, cup number two, he, so he said, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you out. Remember that each of these cups, when they would take of the Passover meal... They would drink four separate cups, each one representing a promise. God said, I will bring you out. That's sanctification. Number two, he said, I will deliver you. So not only did he bring them out from slavery to Egypt, but then he delivered them from the mindset of slavery. He freed them from the burdens of slavery. So cup one is about sanctification. It's about saving them. I will bring you out. But then he said, I will deliver you. This cup is the cup of freedom. It's the cup of deliverance that you don't have to live uh, in bondage to your past or your old mindsets or your old hangups or your old addictions. You don't have to any longer, but you can have freedom and deliverance. Cup number three is the cup of redemption. God said, I will redeem you with an outstretched stretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will redeem you. This is, the, this is about restoration. It's about restoration. It's about restoring you to who God created you to be. So he, he didn't just bring them out and set them in the desert, but he then began to make them who he wanted them to be. And he taught them how to live and he taught them how to grow and, and how to multiply. He did great things for them. He restored them. And then the fourth cup is today's. It's the cup of praise. And the cup of praise is all about fulfillment. Now, um, we have organized our church around each of these four cups, about, around each of these four promises. Because there are things that God wants for you, and most every other promise in Scripture points back to one of these. So we organized our church uh, in this way. 
And there are a lot of ways that we drink of these cups, but with the cup of sanctifi- sanctification, uh, is the, the first way that we do that is our Sunday morning service. We want a place where people can come and find Jesus. I, I need just a little more Jesus, and you ought to be able to find him here, right? And so uh, that, that's Sunday morning. So the cup of deliverance is a cup that was never meant to be drunk alone. It was never a cup that you, it's not even designed for you to drink it by yourself, but you need someone else to drink it with you. And so the the way that we uh, drink this cup primarily is through life teams or small groups. So if you're not involved in a life team and you need some deliverance in your life, and I'm not talking about just the... uh, you know, exorcist head spinning around in circles. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about if you've got some old mindsets and old habits, old hangups, old problems, old sins, whatever it might be, old hurts, that's, that's for you. And then number three is the cup of redemption and restoration. And this is the process of growing in your walk with God and becoming who you are and who he created you to be. And, and we do this through an intentional growth track. And uh, so this is the three places. And today we're going to talk about the cup of praise, and I'll tell you exactly what that's all about. It's about f- fulfillment. And what I love about this cup is that uh, it, it, is, it, it brings the whole thing full circle. It really completes it. Drinking this cup will bring joy to your life. Bringing this cup, drinking this cup will bring purpose to your life. It, it brings it all the way back around. This is the final cup, the cup of praise. Now, think back. There were 14 parts of the Passover. I'm not going to go through all of them again with you today. But the 13th part is where they drank the final cup, the cup of praise. And the the name of this section is called uh, Hallel. It's the same word from which we get our word, Hallelujah. Hallel, Hallelujah. And, and so it's, this, it's the same word, and it just means, it means celebration, it's a praise, it's a shout, it, it's a hallelujah. So it's a, it's a joyful thing. Now, it's a fitting term, because if you think you've been eating dinner, and at this point you were at least four cups of wine in, now it's a party. Come on now, that's funny. You're all like, is he serious right now? Thank you, Rakita. Thank you. (laughs) Here you go. (laughs) I'm having a good time today, and I don't care what y'all think about me. So, (laughs) it's the cup of Hallel. It's the praise. We they they sing hymns in this part. They give shouts and they give thanks to God. It's a praise. It's a celebration of what God has done. Uh, Each cup has been remembering, but but this is the praise or the celebration about the completion of fulfillment and what God is yet to do. What I love about this cup is it doesn't just stop with, well, look at all the things that God has done. It, It would be enough to stop and praise God for what He has done. But in this cup, in this moment, it's praising God and giving Him a shout for what He is yet to do. And and I lo- and so I, I love this cup. It's not just a song or a shout, though. It is a reflection of our souls. It's a joy that comes from deep within. It's a joy that comes from living life to the fullness. It's a joy that comes from living a life that is being uh, that has been fulfilled. Uh, I have a lot of things that I want to do in my life. I kind of keep a running list of them. Uh, things, just random things that I want to do. Some are random, some are not. You might call it a bucket list, if you will, a list of things I want to do before I 
kick the bucket. Uh, does anybody have a bucket list? I, I have a bucket list, and they're, and they're pretty much, uh, you can organize them into three major categories, ministry, relational, and then just random things, right? It's like the other, you know. Uh, so I have some ministry things on my bucket list that I want to see accomplished. And, uh, and part of living a fulfilled life is to every year, I want to see something checked off that list. Here's some things I want to do. Uh, one of my goals is to, uh, uh, over the next few years, get this church and, and all of our churches uh, to where we are completely debt-free. Like, I would love for Triumph Church to be debt-free. And not just because it's stressful for me to have to make sure that we can pay that bill every note, that, that mortgage note, because it's very high, uh, but, but this... I think about what I'm giving to a mortgage company for interest and everything else. And then I think about what, how many people could we reach as a church if we just had that money back every month? One of the things that I want to do when we're debt free, one of the things that I want to do is I I want to build a a home, but not just a home, uh, an entire center to help uh, women who have been uh, sex trafficking victims, help them uh, get out of where they are and, and get back on their feet, discover who God has made them to be and that they can live a fulfilled life even on themselves. I want to build that. I want to do that. And, uh, but I, I, I can't do that yet, but it is on my bucket list. It's one of the things I want to do. And here's another uh, ministry thing I want to do. Um, I, I, I want to, I've been praying for, for several years for God to give us an opportunity and the right place. Uh, I, I want to go to a country outside of the United States and, uh, and th- that God says, I- I'm giving you this country and I'm giving you, uh, I'm giving you the responsibility to make a difference there. And, and I want to, to build, I, I don't want to just go do a short-term mission, but I want to do something that will last. And so that generations from now, uh, we're still affecting a people group, a nation for the better. And, and mission trips are great. I've been on short-term missions, long-term missions, and everything in between. I, I'm a, I love them, but I want to do, I want to build something on the ground where Triumph Church has made its mark for the kingdom of God in, in a city and in a nation. Does that sound good to you? So these are some of the things on my bucket list uh, that I want to do ministry-wise. Uh, lots of things, lots of things I could add on the relational things. Here's a relational thing that I want to do, and uh, my wife's not in here, so I got to make sure I say this in the, in the next service where she'll be. Uh, I want to take my wife to Paris on vacation. I do. No kids, and you're not invited. <laughs> no kids for real. But I want I want to take my wife to Paris, and and uh, I, I want to just I want to see the Eiffel Tower and uh, her her. Roots are, are French and Cajun, and so, you know, we want to walk down the roads and eat it all the little thing and drink the coffee, and I don't even drink it, but I'm going to, like, sit there and sip it, and, and I want to do that. Uh, another thing I want to do is I want to take my kids to the Grand Canyon. I want them to see the Grand Canyon. They've never been able to do that before, and um, I want to I go out there, and I want to sit on the rim, and I want to look over, and I want to explore it, and I want to do the whole thing. Uh, just interesting things that I want to do. Here's some random things I want to do. You want some, some of the random things? I want to climb a mountain. And I don't mean like the overpass out here. I mean like 
and not Everest either, but somewhere in between, like Mount St. Helen or something, where you have to have a guide and you got to have the gear and you've got like the oxygen. Like I want it all, you know, I, you know the, the 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 snow pick and the whole thing. Like I, I want to, uh, you know, lung. My lungs are burning. You know, the whole thing. I want that. Why? I have no idea. I just do. I I, I just do. One of these days, I'm going to stand up here on a Sunday morning and I'm going to say, you know what? I climbed a mountain. And some of you are going to be like, that's awesome. Some of you are like, why in the world would you climb a mountain? Just so you can walk back down the other side? That makes no sense. I don't know. I want to climb a mountain. I want to go to Israel. And I want to be baptized in the Jordan River, the same uh, river that Jesus was baptized in 2,000 years ago. I want to go there. I want to experience it. I I want to do the whole deal. Tell you something else I want to do. Uh, I want to zip line in the rainforest in some country, uh, some Caribbean country or somewhere. And I'm deathly afraid of heights, but I want to do it just to conquer my fear and be like, ah, tears running down my face. I'm going to die, you know, and get done and, you know, just be like, yeah, I had that the whole time, you know. Um, like just, I have things I want to do. And every year I, I make it a point to check something off of that list Because I'm a believer in this. If you make a plan to go nowhere, you'll hit it every time. I want to do something with my life. I want to be fulfilled. And that's what drinking the fourth cup is all about. It's about living a fulfilled life. Most people never live a life of fulfillment. Many people never discover their calling. And the ones that do, the few that have a sense of what their calling is, actually have the courage to live it out. I don't want to be one of those people. But I want to live a life of fulfillment. Notice what Jesus said, or what God said in Exodus 6 and 7. I will take you to be my people. I will take you to be my people. Now, something interesting here. He did not say, I will take you to be my person. I will take you to be my individual. But he said, I will take you to be my people. I will... I want to make you a part of a group. I want to make you a part of a team. I want to make you a part of a body of Christ. I want to make you a part of a church. I want to take you as my people. Understand this about the fourth cup. You cannot drink the fourth cup alone. The whole point of fulfillment is that we find our fulfillment not just in discovering who we are, but getting in the place with the people that God wants us to be. Ultimate fulfillment. The happiest people on the earth are people that are living in their life in the right place with the right people. Uh, Many people fail to live a life of fulfillment because they try to do it alone. It was never meant to be. Look at this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8, reading from the New International Version. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, and there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Here's the point. He didn't have anyone with him. He was all alone. And he worked day in and day out, and he made a lot of money. But there was no end to the work There was no point to it, and he would never found contentment or fulfillment in his life. Doing it alone does not bring fulfillment. God said, I've set this thing up 
So you're a part of a people. So you do it with a group of people. Uh, Doing life is not worth the effort unless you have people with you. Doing life with others makes the toil and the reward all worthwhile. In 1943, there was a doctor named Dr. Abraham uh, Maslow. And if you studied psychology much uh, throughout your college days, you might remember him. He talked about, uh, in in 1943, he wrote about the five uh, basic needs, the five needs that drive, they motivate people to do what they do. He later expanded the list in the 60s and the 70s to include eight. And I I think they're very interesting. I'm going to share them with you really quick. The first is physical needs. Physical needs is very simply, you've got to eat, you've got to sleep, you've got to drink water, and if you don't have it, you will be highly motivated to get it. How many of you, your spouse, when they didn't have meat for 21 days, they got just downright mean? Don't, don't answer that. Um, they were highly motivated to get some food. Uh, because because that's, that's a, it's a physical need that drives us. It's the most basic of all human needs is the physical need. When I was growing up working for my dad at the church, uh, I, I was, my dad was always good for a free meal. If, if you could get in the truck with him at lunchtime, he would buy you lunch. But here was the deal. We would be meeting. We'd be talking along, you know, going over whatever we're going. And I'm telling you, at 11.58, it was like an alarm went off. In mid-sentence, he would stop and be like, you know, what we want to do this year is, it's lunchtime, I'm hungry. And he would, he would turn and head for the door. And at 12 o'clock, his truck was pulling out of the driveway. And, and man, it was really funny. But you'd, you'd see people that wanted to go with him, and they'd be running after him, like diving in the back of the truck. And like, I'm coming, Pastor. For me, I'm coming, Dad. I, I'm broke, and I need some lunch today. But he has a, this physical need. And at 12 o'clock, it's going to get met. Second need is this, safety need, safety need. So we, you have a need for shelter. You have a need for protection. Uh, you, you, have a, you have a need for security and for law. We have a need for order. We have a need for limits. We have a need for stability. Uh, the, these are safety needs that we have. The third one is love needs. Love needs. And I know you're like, man, I don't need to love anybody. You need love in your life. God created you this way. He created you this way. Uh, um, you need, we need belongingness. We need family. We need affection. We need relationships. Uh, we need uh, intimacy. We, we have love needs. Esteem needs. Number, number four is esteem needs. Uh, this is self-esteem. This is the need for achievement. And uh, this is the need for recognition. This is the need to be complimented. Now, for each person, some of these needs may be higher or lower, but we all have them to one degree or the other. Next one is cognitive needs. Now, this was not one of Dr. Maslow's original five, uh, but this is one that he added later. This is a cognitive need. This is the need for knowledge. Think cognitive, meaning about your mind. This is a need to know. This is a need to understand things. This is the reason we watch the Discovery Channel for hours on end about stuff that doesn't matter, but we have a need for knowledge. We have a craving for understanding. Uh, this is, this is a, one of our basic needs. Then we have aesthetic needs. Uh, I, I would venture to say that this one is higher in, uh, in women than it is in men, but this is the need to see beautiful things. 
This is the need to see order in, 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 in nature and life. This is the need to, this, this is why that people pay hundreds and thousands of dollars every year, millions of dollars for art pieces. Listen, I've got some on my refrigerator that my kids drew. I'll be happy to give it to you for a deep discount. But no, we spend lots of money because we have an aesthetic need to see beautiful things. Uh, I said to you, I want to go to the Grand Canyon. Why? I want to see something beautiful and I want my kids to see something that they can find nowhere else on the earth. Aesthetic needs. Um, number eight, and this is, this is an important one. This is self-actualization. Self-actualization. Uh, at one point, Maslow thought this was the highest need. This was his number five. He later discovered a higher one. But this is realizing one's own personal potential. This is saying, I want to maximize my life and do the best that I can. It's about self-fulfillment, being the best at something. It's about seeking peak experiences. Uh, The way we achieve this, uh, one of the ways he said was to experience life like a child with full absorption and concentration. Just take it all in. Another way that you can experience this is by taking responsibility for your own life and your own decisions and working hard. Uh, Another way is to identify your defenses, identify your weaknesses and give up your defenses and work on your weaknesses. So this is self-actualization, becoming the best me I can be. But then there's the last one. And this is the highest need that we have. If you can imagine a triangle with the bottom being our our basic needs as far as uh, our our food and water and shelter and all the way up to the top and the very tip. This is where very few people reach, but I believe you can. And I think this is what drinking the fourth cup is all about. It's called transcendence. Transcendence needs. And, And the whole idea is this. The whole idea of a transcendent need is I have been self actualized. I have, for the purpose of our sermon today, I have drunk the three cups. I I have been saved. I have been delivered. I have been restored. And now I've realized who God has called me to be. But even more than that, I want to help other people become self-actualized or drink the cups of promise. The whole point of transcendence is it goes beyond, okay, what can I do for me? But it's, it becomes about what can I do for others to affect their destiny, for, to affect their eternity. I think this is the highest need, according to uh, this doctor and many others. But when you look at Scripture, I think this is the ultimate fulfillment of drinking the fourth cup, is the cup of helping other people, affecting their eternity, and making a difference in their life. That's what the fourth cup is all about. So how do we drink this cup? Well, we have to understand that real joy does not come from making money or from having a lot of things, but real joy comes from knowing that my life is productive and that my life is making a difference from eternity. First thing we have to do is drinking this cup, it, it begins with a calling. It begins a, with a calling. You've got to know why. And when people lose their why, they tend to lose their way. When we lose the, the, the reason why we're doing something, um, for instance, let's say you decided, I am going to lose some weight. I want to get healthy. 
I want to be around for my grandkids. I want to be around for my kids. I, I, want to, I, just, I want to feel better about myself. And so we go on a diet, and we're working out, and we're eating right. But if we're not careful, we lose the why. Maybe it's because we're not seeing good enough results. Uh, maybe we lose our motivation. Maybe uh, something happens. But along the way, we lose our why. We lose track of why we're doing it. And as soon as we lose track of why we're doing it, we, we, we tend to stop doing it. We're no longer working, well, I missed a meal, well, I, you, know, and, you know, and we begin to forget, why was I doing this again? When you lose your why, we tend to lose our way. I'm living for God, I'm making a difference, I'm doing some great things in my life. Uh, I, I want to be right, I want to be right with God, I want to walk with God, I want to be close with God. But if, if you lose your why, if you lose your purpose, we tend to, the next thing that happens is, it's easy to not show up on Sunday morning. It's easy to not be at your life team. It's easy to stop praying. It's easy to stop worshiping. When we lose our why, we tend to lose our way. We've got to understand our calling. You're called to make a difference. Uh, you're called to, to do something great in your life. It's so easy to get caught up existing rather than living out your calling. If you don't know what your calling is, you need to. And let me just remind you of this. Every one of us is called to make a difference. You've got to make up your mind. I want to make a difference with my life. So it begins with a calling, but then it stands on a cause. It stands on a cause. It's not just about a bucket list of random things of which you heard me talk about mine, but it is about doing something that makes an eternal difference. I love this verse from the Apostle Paul in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for, for finishing the work assigned uh, by, to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Here's what Paul said. My calling is to tell people good news about the grace of God. And if I'm not doing that, it's not even worth living because I'm not living a life fulfilled. I'm not living according to my cause. We have a cause. And, and, and our cause is people. Our cause is changed lives. Our cause is to serve the one who saves us. Our cause is to be focused on what he is focused on. We have a cause. And so it starts with a calling, but then we have a cause that drives us and pushes, up. It pushes us. It becomes a motivation. It becomes a, a goal in our life. In, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, you read the story where Peter's mother-in-law was sick. And so Jesus goes to her and he heals her. And the moment she gets up from being healed, she immediately starts serving. Because she understood something. When God has healed you, it's the natural response to want to serve others. This is the crux of what Jesus preached. Uh, is, is that we, we have to serve. We have to live our lives to serve others. It's not just about me being self-actualized, but it is about me helping others get to their point of fulfillment as well. As you know, that uh, February is Black History Month, and it's a very important month where we uh, remember the, the suffering of our brothers, but also we celebrate the great advancements and achievements uh, of our, of our African-American brothers and sisters throughout our history. And uh, I want to play you a, just a short video clip 
uh, from one of, the, one of the greatest voices in history of any race or color. And, and it's Martin Luther King Jr. And it's one of his final sermons. He dies about two months after this sermon. If you're interested, you can look up the whole sermon. It's called uh, Drum Major Instinct. Uh, but I just want to play you a short clip of something he said uh, because it really, really impacted me. Guys, if you'd roll that really quickly. This morning, I would like to use as a subject from which to preach the drum major instinct, a desire to be out front, a desire to lead the parade, a desire to be first. And if something doesn't happen to stop this trend, I'm sorely afraid that we won't be here to talk about Jesus Christ and about God and about brotherhood too many more years. So Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. One of the greatest figures in all of our history and in world history. And he understood something. A, a message of Jesus that if you want to be the greatest, if you want to be recognized, if you want to be important, all that's good, but it comes through serving. It comes through making a difference in the life of someone else. The happiest people on the planet are those who are making a difference in the lives of other people because that is how God made us to be. So finally, it stands on a cause and then it spreads from me to we. It spreads from me to we. You can't do it alone because you were not created to do it alone. Remember God said after he made man, it is not good for man to be alone. He created us to be a part of a team, a part of a people, a part of a body, a part of a church. More than that, it's just not fun to do it alone. John Maxwell says in his book, The 17 Indisputable Laws of Teamwork, uh, in one of those is called The Law of Mount Everest, which says that as the challenge escalates, the need for teamwork elevates. Focus on the team and the dream should take care of itself. Focus on the team and the dream should take care of itself. So the higher you want to go, the more you are going to need the right people with you. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4 and 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Two are better than one. Remember, in a verse I just read to you, he said one man was alone. He worked so hard, but he didn't find fulfillment. The next verse he says, two are better than one because there's a good return for their labor. You were made to work on a team. Never underestimate the need for team, the value of community. You've got to find your place to serve. You've got to find your place to make a difference. Uh, you've been delivered. You've been saved. You've been restored. So it's time to give back. And, and that's what today is all about. And uh, I, I want to challenge you. The part of our church that is organized around this cup 
is our dream team, and it's our volunteer ministries, uh, the, the teams that go out and serve in our community, the teams that serve here every Sunday. Right now, all over this building, there are people serving you. There were people here early this morning. When I got here today at 8 o'clock, there were already people on this ground getting ready to serve you. And they're some of the happiest people in the world. And I want you to get connected with, with where God called you to be. I had the chance to talk just a couple of weeks ago with a lady named Tanya in our Nederland campus. And she wasn't even in the service. And she said, I just want to tell you, Pastor, I just had like the best day of my life. Why? She said, I got to help with the children today. And she was with, uh, with uh, our, our younger kids, not the nursery, but like the four, five, and six-year-olds. And she said, it was the greatest joy of my life. I got to talk to them about Jesus, and I got to worship with them, and I got to have fun with them. And she said, I never thought I would be a kid person, but I'm so overwhelmed that I get the opportunity to teach Jesus to the youngest, some of the youngest people in our church. She's living a life fulfilled. She's living a life of joy. She's living a life, and, and, and she's finding that I can make a difference. It's not about just being on the praise team or, or, or being the one at the front of the line. It's not about being the drum major all the time, as Dr. King said, but it is about finding our greatness in serving, finding your place. If you don't have a place to serve, I'm challenging you today to find a place to get involved, whatever that may and, and if it doesn't work for the one you find, try another one. Find your place that God has called you to be. I want to conclude today uh, by taking communion with you. This is our fourth cup, and we're going to talk specifically about that one. And uh, God said, I will take you to be my people. But then he said something else. And I will be your God. I, I love this about God because first off, we see a picture here. Where God's not just taking you in to work for Him and be for Him, but God says, I'm going to do my part for you. I'm going to show up for you. I'm going to be God for you. I'm going to be king for you. I'm going to be provider for you. I'm going to be healer for you. I'm going to be whatever you need. I'm going to be my part. He says, I will be your God. When things aren't going right, I will be your God. When, when you're struggling in your marriage, I will be your God. When you're struggling in your finances, I will be your God. When, when, when you're facing problems at work, I will be your God. When you have need of healing in your body and the doctor says you have cancer, he says, I will be your God. You're my people and I'm your God. This promise is not just about what he had already done. He promised to save. He promised to deliver. He promised to redeem. But this was a promise about, I will continue to be your God. I will continue to be your God in every situation. The big ones and the little ones. All the way for the rest of your life and for the rest of eternity. Even when you try to run from me, I'm here and I want to be your God. He wants to be with us. If you didn't receive the communion elements, if you just slip up your hand, our ushers are going to help us. Uh, 
Pastor Brandon, we have some up here in the, the center. Once you've received yours, if you would stand with me. Near the end of the Passover celebration, they would lift the force cup and they would sing praises and they would give a shout. It was joy, it was happiness, not just about what God had done, but it was a shout of praise for what God was going to do. As we drink this cup today, I I want you to know something. He's promised you salvation. Maybe He's already saved you. If He hasn't, He wants to save you today. He's promised you deliverance. Maybe He's already delivered you, but if He hasn't, He will today. He's promised you to be redeemed and restored. Maybe He already has. If He hasn't, He will today. But today I want you to know He's promised to be your God forever. And that's worth singing praises for. That's worth giving a hallelujah for. So on that night, Jesus lifted the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. As we eat it now, Jesus, we eat it in remembrance of what you did for us. And then the the, the disciples... They took this last cup, the cup of praise, the fulfillment, completing the circle. God, you've done so much for me. Now it's my time to help others. God, I'm giving you praise for what you've done, but also what you're yet to do in my life through me and with me. We celebrate that today as we drink of this cup. We thank you that we get to be your people, God, and you are our God. Drink it now in remembrance of Him. I give myself away Oh God I give myself away So you can use me Give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. Tell him, say, I give myself away to you, my king. I give myself away so you. Can you speak? Here's the word today. Summed up in cup number four is this. Move in your life. Move through the cups. Move through the plan. Move through the promises that God has for you. Move or help me move people. Move and or help me move people. And, and that's how we reach the ultimate fulfillment in our life.